This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And we are back, folks, on an exciting edition of the Michigan Basketball Insider. I guess I should say, here on the Michigan Basketball Insider, it is always exciting to sit down with my man Tim McCormick. A basketball great here at the University of Michigan. First round draft pick in the NBA. Excellent basketball commentator, whether he's talking Pistons or NBA uh, with Fox or talking college basketball uh, as a great color guy uh, or offering his analysis here on the Michigan Basketball Insider. Tim McCormick is outstanding. But, Tim, when we talk about what we're seeing from this Michigan basketball team this year, it's just another level of excitement. My man, how are you? I'm good. I'm really good. Um, you're outstanding as well, but neither one of us is as outstanding as this Michigan basketball team. That Ohio State win made me so happy. Obviously, it's huge when you're number three in, in all of college basketball and you want a Big Ten title and you're playing Ohio State on the road. Um, but from a, a different perspective, the quality of the game was phenomenal. And, and I will remember this one for a long, long time. Now, there have been bigger games in, in Michigan history. The national championship game against Seton Hall in, in Seattle in 89 and beating Kansas in overtime in the NCAA and the Fab Five games. And I remember Michigan, Indiana in the national championship in 76. Like Those are all bigger games than this without question. Um, John Beeline winning Big Ten tournament titles. That, that was big, too. But to put Sunday in context, I don't remember a regular season game in the middle of the season with so much at stake and being so well played. It was a sensational effort. I thought Ohio State played really well, um, but Michigan was the dynamite, and it was an absolute treat, one of the best regular season games you're ever going to see. I thought so, too, and you know, it, it did not surprise me that after I, I posted something, I saw you say something very similar. I mean, we're on the same wavelength. We're far different height-wise, but same wavelength with how we, how we think about basketball. I said immediately when this game was over, this was the best victory, the best W of the college basketball season by any team. Because mm-hmm. Ohio State is for real, Tim. I mean, make, before we get deep into talking about what Michigan did in this contest, let's acknowledge – that Chris Holtman has done an amazing job with that squad. Because you look at him on paper, and you, I, I went into the game wondering, man, how are they doing it? How are they going into these, these opponents' arenas and taking it to teams that have decided, decisive size advantages? And we saw how. I mean, they used, those, they used the, the size or the quickness advantage to their advantage. One of the keys to me, and you know this is a big fella, Tim, when you're facing a smaller guy, who dictates – do you dictate with your size or do they dictate with their quickness? And what Ohio State is able to do to most opponents is dictate with, with their quickness uh, more than the other team dictates with their size. They didn't. They couldn't do that as much against Michigan. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And 
And when I say both teams played well, they played to their strengths. And so many teams aren't able to do that. Um, Think about this. Low turnovers, excellent defense both ways, uh, an equal battle on the glass, clutch free throws, really tough physical post play, contested threes. And with all of that, the defense was, was, was brilliant. And for Michigan to score 92 points against that defense, was was eye-opening to me. And look, Sam, I, I've been wrong plenty of times, um, but I really expected Michigan to win this game. And I sent a tweet pregame that said, I'm confident in a Michigan victory. We're better at the 3-4 and the 5, and Hunter Dickinson is just too big for them inside with nobody over 6-8. And also I referenced the fact that I thought Chris Holtman would not leave any help off of Isaiah Livers and Franz Wagner. So my tweet said that I thought that Smith and Brooks would be big contributors to the offense, and they were. Mm-hmm. 28 points, five boards, eight assists between them, only two turnovers, and that was a massive key. And, and all three of the wing guys, Smith, Brooks, and Shondi Brown, did did an amazing job. I was very proud of them. Hey, if you've been wrong, Tim, it hasn't been on this podcast. <laughs> I mean, you, <laughs> you've been pretty spot on in this podcast, man. If folks are listening, <laughs> if you bet, you want to bet on Tim McCorby because you've been absolutely dialed into this team. Uh, but you, I, again, great point because they made some decisions defensively in this game that Michigan solved really early. So they ran doubles. At, I thought. Yeah, it's, it's not abnormal for teams to run doubles at Hunter Dickinson. But, Tim, it didn't – even when Hunter was 18 feet from the basket facing, they ran doubles at him. It wasn't just when he was backing down on the block. They made a commitment. We're going to blitz this guy. They were blitzing uh, – they were blitzing Franz on ball screens. And one of the things that was very evident to me and had to be evident to them early was, man, these guys, their length, their court vision – their unselfishness is elite because those skip passes that Hunter Dickinson was throwing. I mean, he hit, I think it was, uh, maybe it was Shondi Brown once. I think he hit Eli Brooks with a skip pass as well. You saw them blitz um, Franz on a, on a, on a pick and roll. He was able to see over and then find Austin Davis going to the rim. These guys, precision passing, sharing the basketball really solved that double team and found a lot of open shooters. So I know it's, it's rare to see a team, shoot threes that well, 10 for 13. Uh, It's abnormal to make them at that clip, but those were open shots, Tim, that this team found. Yeah, I I actually was worried at halftime because Michigan was 10 for 13 from three and only up two points. Mm -hmm. Um, But so unusual that in the second half, they're one for 10, and they actually scored more points in the second half than in the first half. Um, But back to Hunter, he he put on – a post clinic. He did all the obvious things, right? You know, like a high field goal percentage. He attacked the rim. Um, He sets really strong screens without fouling. He made his free throws, but what got me fired up? And, and I actually rewatched the game yesterday. That's kind of sick, isn't it? No, it's (laughs) not sick. It was that good. It was that good. Yeah. yeah. No. So I, I, um, I, I watched it because there were a couple things I wanted to focus on. I wanted to watch Hunter, and all of the subtleties of his game. Um, and it, it amazed me. He uses his body so well to, to free teammates. Um, yes. he, 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 um, you know, he, what he can do is he, he has a real innate sense on how to, to knock somebody 
off that might be coming to help. Um, his ability to defend at the rim without fouling. Remember, he he's so physical, and he only had two fouls. And and another thing that I thought was really good is EJ Liddell is an all Big Ten player. I don't care what anybody says. That guy is going to be on my team. And he had 23 and 10. And I love his game. But Hunter did a spectacular job of being able to cover that guy who is so much quicker. They gave him no help. There was no double team coming. It was just one-on-one to, to you know, all Big Ten guys. And they, um, they didn't help off of Arns, which I thought was a really big key. You know, he's going to give you 10 points a game, right? Mm-hmm. But, but they never left him, and he was 0 for 2. Um, but back to Hunter. To, to play somebody that's smaller – and he just contested shots, and and Liddell hit them because he's a great player. Um, but but that was that was really good defense by Hunter Dickinson. And then the other thing that that was really amazing to me is as a post passer, he's like a he's like a a, a baseball pitcher that can you know hit the corners. He's got great control on his delivery. Um, Kevin McHale was the best passer that I remember in the post. Like when he threw the ball, a skip pass over to a shooter, he'd hit him right in his shooting pocket so the guy could just catch and go right up on balance. That's the way Hunter Dickinson throws passes too. So, yeah, I'm excited, and and I I really enjoyed the subtlety of his game. And and I also want to give Shondi Brown credit. You know, if if we're going to talk about Hunter being the star, Shondi Brown was close with the way he played in all facets of the game. Yeah, a bunch of great observations, and I I expect you to to see the subtleties of Hunter's game because he was more impressive than the stats show and say. And the stats are impressive. I mean, you know, you look at that game: twenty two points, nine boards, a couple of assists. That's really impressive. But he was responsible for more than that. You pointed out how he just has an awareness, a sense, you know, walling guys. It's not just screening for baskets uh, as on, on call plays but screening for baskets when he sees his teammates attacking the rim. That baseline drive was wide open for Isaiah Livers because here you have Hunter Dickinson walling off the help. It was the same thing uh, heading into the break where, you know, great key basket, uh, you know, Eli Brooks scoring going to the rim. Who's walling off the help? Hunter Dickinson. He had at least three t- three occasions like that where he created a basket. And then he didn't get, you know, we call them hockey assists. Maybe it's a, a pass. That, that leads to another pass to the open shooter, but that initial pass was the key. Or you you have a another skip pass. He's backing into the post. They run a double at him early in the second half, and he throws another skip pass to Mike Smith. They hard close out. Mike has to put it on the, on the floor for a dribble or two and then hits a baseline jumper. But that pass was what led to that shot. He had plays like that all day long. It was a, He was the player of the game. And I know there were higher scores. Dwayne Washington was outstanding. EJ Liddell had a had a, a great game. But Hunter Dickinson was the most impactful player on the court. But you mentioned Shondi Brown. And let's revisit preseason, Tim. And I want your, your thought on this point. They wind up with Shondi Brown, selfless player. I mean, you look at the game before when he gets 12 minutes. And we've seen it because Franz Wagner is going off. In this game, he was much more impactful. But that fluctuation in, hey, you know, how many minutes or how many shots you get hasn't been a problem for him. Everyone has bought into their role. You look at Franz Wagner, four shots in this game, Tim, after he just had a whale of a game. Not a problem for him. 
these guys share the basketball. Now, I'm not saying this to cast dispersions, but would it have been the same if Nojo Eastern is that guy <laughs> instead of Shondi Brown? Well, I mean, I would, would it have the been the same, same thing? Tim? I mean, let's think about that, man. I mean, Sean, Nojo Eastern left a, a really good team where he was a starter on for a bigger role. If he had come to Michigan and they had said, you're a sixth man, what would that have been like? So, so let me take this in a little bit different direction because I, I think we both agree that right now at this moment, Juwan Howard is the national coach of the year based on what he's done with his team, with the, the, the quarantine, um, with the losses from last year, with his defense being so good. But there's a hidden advantage that, that Juwan is, is setting a standard for coaches around the country. Last year, there were 1,000 players in the transfer portal. Next year, that number may double to 2,000. And so a big part of roster creation is going to be taking transfers. And most coaches will say, wow, you know, this guy scored 18 points a game at Murray State. Let's bring him in. Oh, that guy was at Arkansas and he, he was a starter. Let's bring him in. And, and they, they get the guys and all of a sudden they find out, okay, he's not satisfied with anything. He wants more. He, you know, he, he's only about himself. But what Juwan did is, is he went searching for the people that have character, that are willing to buy into culture that are great teammates. So he did his research. He talked to Danny Manning and, and found out about the character and the mindset of a guy like Sean D. Brown. He went to his home in Chicago and researched Mike Smith, talked to the people that grew up with him, talked to coaches that knew him, talked to AAU coaches. So he found two guys that fit the culture that were unselfish, that would buy in. And, and I think that the coaches next year are going to need to start doing that a little bit more. Don't don't bring in mass quantities of players that that you think are talented and can jump high and you look on their 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 hype videos and they've got amazing dunks. Find the guys that fit your system. And Shondi Brown did all the little things that a winning player needs to do. And I will say this, of all the Michigan players, I was happiest for Shondi Brown because he left Wake Forest and came to Michigan because he wanted to play in meaningful games in which his team would have a chance to compete for a championship. That was exactly why he came to Michigan on Sunday. And, and I don't, please don't take this as a, a shot or a slight at Nojo Eastern, but it, it's a, it, it's revisiting one of my questions when that dalliance was going on. It's like, look, he, there's a certain role that he expects to have with whatever team he goes to. If if it winds up not looking like, you know, a bigger role, how will he process that when what he came from was a starting role uh, a, and probably a bigger role on a team this year looking for something even even more? And so Shawnee Brown, you look around, we talked to Randolph Childress about him uh, and he said, man, the, the ultimate team guy really believes in the development, but wants to, like you said, Tim play on a winning team. And Joe Eastern was coming from a winning team already, right? So, you know, all of these dynamics, I think, lead to, I think it's Providence. I think it was foretold that the basketball gods and Jawan Howard, you know, channeling them, really saw how this team would fit together. And another guy that you you talked about a lot, we've talked about a lot, Mike Smith. You know, you look up and you talk about him being a key to, to the game, key to the team. He's leading the Big Ten in assists, Tim. A guy who put up how many shots at Columbia? 
leading the Big Ten in assists. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's another stat, another performance that you you want to talk about. Guys playing a role, you know, guys adapting to where they are, guys being selfless. Mike Smith is another vivid example of that. He is embraced leading this team. He pushes the break. He's very creative, and he orchestrated the single best play of the entire Michigan basketball season. I think you remember it. Smith drives baseline. He threw a pass and, and there was so much foresight to be able to see ahead because when he threw the pass, Hunter Dickinson was not in position and he led him and, and that drop step and dunk in traffic (laughs) brought me out of my chair. I was pumping my fist. I mean, that was one of the most powerful dunks, but it was all set up by Mike Smith and, 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 you know, Hunter, he, he, um, he's not the fastest guy. There, there's no doubt about that. As a matter of fact, growing up, my, um, my grandma had a cottage on the St. Clair river and I was fascinated by freighters. Freighters are these big, powerful, immovable objects that, that sometimes take a whole mile before they can change directions or actually stop. In some ways, Hunter is like that. Like he is, he is so massive and he's big. And, and so once he gets going, he is very difficult to stop. And for him to catch the ball, which was not an easy catch, to drop step, to power dribble and gather himself, and to go up in traffic like that was memorable for me. Yeah, and and when it happened in the game, what they're like four minutes left, uh, that you know it's a you know the lead changes. I think there were like twenty lead changes in this game, so it was back and mm. forth, and that just felt like a emphatic moment. I remember having, every time I think about it, it makes me growl a little bit because it was that important and impactful. And it comes down to in a high level game like that, you know, who can make the winning plays in crunch time. And that was one of a, a, a consecutive, a number of consecutive uh, times down the floor where Michigan made those winning plays, Tim. So uh, yeah. just nothing but praise. And I, I want to be sure should, rivalry it may be, that Ohio State team is legit. Chris Holtman is outstanding. But at yeah, the end of the day, you look at Michigan's talent, Tim. And while these two teams are comparable, if they played 10 times, I think Ohio State would win a few. But I, I think mm-hmm. that Michigan just – they're longer and they're deeper than Ohio State. They are. And they I think that uh, – I, I think that they have just more options. Um, guys that you just really can't take away. And you can scout a report against Michigan and say, okay, we're going to, we're going to double Dickinson. Where are you going to leave from? And, and there are guys that if, if someone has a little bit of an off game or if there's some foul trouble, there's plenty of options. And, and speaking of foul trouble, I want to tell you, Sam, I thought that the referees were absolutely phenomenal. <laughs> All right. We're going to have to revisit that topic. <laughs> We're going to have to revisit that topic, Tim McCormick, because I want to make sure that we get to our guest, who, uh, again, one of the absolute voices of college basketball. I mean, we've been blessed to have some great guests on this podcast since its inception, uh, and they just continue to be great because your Rolodex, or I guess I should say your contact list, Rolodex probably dates us, right, with the with the kids listening, but your contact list is is outstanding. And the the guest that you channeled or you, you focused in on this week was Bill Raftery, and there are no voices better than the guy who says, with a kiss, love Bill Raftery. 
Yeah. And, and Bill Rafter is a really good person and it comes across in his broadcast early in my career. Um, I was, I was a player for the New Jersey Nets and he broadcast all of our games. So I got to know him well. And, and when I was transitioning into being a broadcaster, I asked for his advice and he told me, said, Tim, he always called me Timmy. So he said, Timmy, every broadcast act like you're sitting at a bar with a drink and a good buddy, and you're just having a casual conversation, laugh and joke and enjoy the game. And and I have considered Raph a huge role model for me as a broadcaster. Every time I, I go into a broadcast and I feel like I've overprepared or I, you know, I'm too intense, I think of Raph and just kind of sit back and enjoy it and have fun. Absolutely. Well, hey, great advice because this really, really worked for him. So we'll take this pause. When we come back on the other side, we'll be joined by Bill Raftery. The wait is over. The Shy returns with new episodes on Paramount+. Plus. What brings you to the Shy? Opportunity. Everybody get down! Walk right up to the side. A new rain is coming to the south side. Never should have sent a boy to do a woman's job. The Shy. New episodes May 10th. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash The Shy to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto-renews. Restrictions apply. It's the NFL offseason, but on Pick 6, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, the football season never stops. Host Will Brinson, John Breach, and Tyler Sullivan are joined by analysts like Brady Quinn, Leslie Ducible, Katie Mox, and R.J. White to keep you in the loop on everything happening around the league. Whether it's free agents signing with new teams, the all-important NFL draft, or schedule release day, Pick 6 has you covered. As the face of the league changes with every team move and player pickup this spring, Pick 6 is a must Listen, download, and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and anywhere podcasts are found. And we are back here on the Michigan Basketball Insider once again with absolute basketball royalty. When you think of the voices that narrate college basketball, you definitely think of the name Billy Raftery. Billy Raftery, thanks for joining us on the Michigan Basketball Insider. Uh, Nice to be with you guys. Alongside one of my favorite people. I'm so old, I remember him playing with the Nets, the Sixers, and making a nice making a nice living, as they would say, in the East. Yeah, Raph, this is special for me, too. I, I've known you for over 30 years, and you're right. When I was a member of the Nets, you said all kinds of nice things. And as a broadcaster, I've learned so much from you. Um, you're the absolute best from CBS Sports, Bill Raftery, and uh, Raph, you called the, the Michigan-Wisconsin game last weekend. Today, or this Sunday, it was Michigan-Ohio State. Uh, what's the ceiling for this Michigan team, and do you see any flaws that, that maybe they need to address? Well, I think Juwan's got to get himself some players first. I mean, they feel you know, <laughs> uh, you, you know I, guess, I guess flaws are always there because it's you know game to game, as you well know better than all of us. Tim, you know, somebody comes up a little bit short, you have somebody to back them up or step up a little bit. And uh, they seem to have guys like that. Uh, the only the, people try and uh, move the big guy around Dickinson, uh, you know, make him get involved, keep him busy, kind of. And I was, you know, after that game on Sunday, I'm thinking, I, I never even, ever, of course, we don't see Juwan after the game. We did a little tape, but it was you know, relevant in, in, in this terms, that go ahead and beat me, Liddell. You know, beat me with 10 threes. 
you know, the pick and pop thing. And I, I can live with that, you know. So I thought, and a lot of people thought that Livers would guard Liddell. I don't know how you felt going into that game, although I think we did chat about it the other day. So at any rate, my point is, is that a shortcoming where, you know, he can't cover ball screens or, you know, be as active as a center as you would like? Uh, that, that That is one area, maybe. But after that, I think defensively they're good. Uh, they're good defensively at a fast pace, too. So a lot of that is lost. You know, I think they cover great. I think Livers has an unbelievable ability to do a lot of things on one set, uh, you know, be, besides guarding his own or getting back early to prevent the break and helping on cuts and helping on dribble drives while he still plays his guy and does the whole checkout, rebound, push kind of a deal. Uh, you know, they're, they're to me, uh, you know, we talk about Baylor and Gonzaga, you know, they, Illinois and Ohio State, I think, you know, just the cream of the crop right now, to be honest with you. Yeah, Raph, I, I, um, I look at, at Gonzaga as the best. Baylor, a lot of people think, is number two, Michigan three. I personally think that Michigan is better than Baylor. So I'd love to ask you, what does a Michigan-Gonzaga matchup look like from your perspective? Wow. A little bit like the other day, I think in the 90s, maybe hundreds. <laughs> because they're both freewheeling, uh, they're confident offensive players, and they have a lot of individual guys who can do a lot of damage. Uh, you know, a lot of teams don't have that arsenal or that amount of weapons uh, as these two teams do. I mean, there's so many ways that, uh, you know, whether it's the fast break or half court, uh, or ISOs or ball screens where guys can be productive. Uh, I, I think there's a lot of similarities uh, because I think a lot of times you watch Gonzaga and people overlook their defense too. I think that's where they've gotten better. And, and I think that's the area where Michigan uh, can really tighten the noose on key stops. And you, you and your NBA days, you know, I'm sure you remember being involved in a lot of games and it came down to a key stop or two in the last minute, right? That mm-hmm. kind of, and, and I think both these teams can do that type of thing. You know, Bill Raftery, the perspective that you can bring to all things basketball, I think can can maybe bring some perspective to a lot of people in the media because I still sense a lot of surprise with how well Michigan is coached. I think a lot of people thought Juwan Howard would come in and really be able to connect with the guys. But I think there's a lot of surprise about how tactically good he is. And I'm curious if if any of that surprises you with how well he's done in that regard so far. Well, you know, Tim and I, interesting enough, off air, we're talking about his background with Miami and the influence of Riley and Spolstra. Uh, no, because last year, you know, I, I was very, I was impressed with him watching. We could go to practices then, and that's where you can really see the teaching end and the confidence where he utilized his staff. Uh, you know, he would spend you know time at one end with the big guys, and uh, you know the rest of the staff work on the perimeter people. Uh, you know, it doesn't. I never thought of the coaching aspect because of the years in the league, and the one thing I felt coming in was offense would be a natural for him. Because they know all the quick hitters, they know how to, you know, obviously score quickly, mm-hmm. get it to the right guy, ride a guy that's playing well, you know, all the things we continually use on the air. Uh, 
and repeat, quite frankly. But so I, it, he doesn't surprise me at all. What, what I found intriguing, we had a couple of players on the other day, uh, you know, pregame Zoom deal. Uh, the passion that they felt he had for the school and for them, you know, Livers, Livers and Dickinson we had on. And mm-hmm. like and the passion for the game as well. So, you know, n- nothing he's done surprises me. It's just a different way of coaching than John Beeline, which I think maybe last year people were accustomed to the, you know, the back cuts and all the things that John did so beautifully and well and had kids of that could do those things. Uh, this is a, you know, sort of a different style, but extremely successful. And, and he exhibits a great deal of knowledge and the command he has in timeouts is, is extraordinary. I think the response of the players when they come back out, they do exactly. And I think he also lets them share. Uh, and I think Timmy would know better than me. I think they share in timeouts too, from what I'm told. So a, a, I, go ahead, Tim. No, go ahead. Go ahead, Sam. I agree. No, I was just going to say, you know, a seasoned analyst like yourself can can think of eras in in basketball. Another thing that I think maybe surprises a lot of media folks these days is you look in the Big Ten and you see guys who play the game like Tim McCormick did. A lot of them that play. I mean, you got obviously Hunter Dickinson. You go over to Illinois, you got Kofi Coburn. You got Luca Garza at Iowa, right? Uh, you know, you go a, a, across the, the Big Ten and you see – bigs and i'm curious if that surprises you if you if traditional big men if you thought you'd see you know the the prominence of those guys come back in any in any league the way they have in the big 10 this year yeah you know it's an interesting uh statement uh, a lot of the bigs you mentioned can shoot outside which goes along with that nba now with the pick and pop stretch and four and five kind of a deal but i i don't think i've ever seen and you two would know better than me uh you know i followed the big 10 as i mentioned the other day robin freeman was at ohio state when i was a kid and he was lighting it up so i have watched that league or fortunately enough been announcing in that league since the early 80s I don't think I've seen as many big men uh, that are not potentially dominant, but that can play and are major factors in one conference. And I don't know how you guys feel. They they all seem to know how to play too. It's not, yeah. it's not like that they're big lugs and you know motionless and you know stuck on a block. Uh, they've got mobility. Uh, they they've got footwork. I mean, it's just, they're just not another player. That's, you know, they've got as much uh, fundamentally sound moves as the perimeter people, these big guys, in most cases, you know, Coburn's more of a low post kind of a guy. He's not going to move out as much, but uh, it's very impressive to me, at least. Uh, It makes me so happy that we're talking big men in the big (laughs) Ten. And to follow up on that, Hunter Dickinson is so advanced for a freshman for him to take over a game like that was exceptional. He, he's very much old school, back to the basket. You have so much history, decades in the NBA as an announcer. How does his game translate to the NBA? A lot of people think uh, you've got to be a perimeter jump shooter now to play in the NBA as a center. But, you know, is he going to stay for a long time? How do you think he'll do in the NBA? Well, you know, Timmy, you, you know, you know better than I do, simply because you've really been involved in it, even since you've stopped playing, you know, with your work with the NBA. You know, this kid 
His 15-foot jump shot, which we don't see much, looks very good. His free throw looks very good. I would venture to say between now and next season, he will have a three-point stroke because you know how hard they work in the offseason now. It's not like you go home and you'll have a picnic and go to the lake and you know, meet your pals and things like that. Now, now you know, they're industrious. They love the game. Uh, they love being with one another. Uh, and obviously, academically, it's terrific to be on campus and get some, you know, credits and, you know, advance towards your degree. Uh, you know, I would bow to you, but uh, he knows how to scream without fouling. Uh, he knows how to assist. Uh, you know, he, he doesn't make silly mistakes. And I just think that fundamentally sound Timmy Duncan look uh, would, would will prevail in his future. But I, I do think he will be able to come out and make that shot at some point. Maybe not the three right away, but close to it, you know, the long two kind of a deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there's a big upside for this kid because he's so intelligent the way he plays. You know, the rebound last week and the kick out. You know, how many big guys would have kicked that out? Right. I mean, he went, you know, a lot of guys would have gone right up with it, hope they got to the foul line, you know, win the game for their team type of thing. He's just aware of what the next decision is, maybe sometimes before it occurs. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, so, so Kevin Garnett uh, made a comment a couple weeks ago that the NBA stars from past generations might struggle in today's game. What are your thoughts on his comment? Well, you know, it's uh, generational. You know that. Uh, you know, does your game tran- transfer to now? I-, I just think at that time, those guys were the best. And-, and I think as if they feel they've improved, it's because they're this era and it's maybe more athletic, uh, more gymnastic, uh, you know, maybe, you know, more more flash and dash kind of a thing. But I, I don't think you can ever denigrate the old timers. I mean, I, I, I loved Oscar. Oscar was our guy. You know, that was like the guy. You know, then it may have been Julius. And then, of course, Michael took it to another level. But, I, you know, if they were training under today's circumstances, and, and the biggest thing I think that's often lost in the NBA, they all traveled by train and they all traveled, you know, they trampled through the airport at five in the morning. They didn't have the technique. They didn't have the support group. Uh, they played in cold buildings without the floors that they're accustomed to today. I mean, it's so different uh, that to compare is, is unrealistic, basically. But I, I think the younger guys now are maybe don't like hearing some of the responses of the old timers and, you know, sort of stick up for their, their age group. But, uh, you know, I, I think that's uh, my analysis to me. It makes a lot of sense. Uh, and I know you, you traveled too, uh, where a bunch of the team were in the back, right on the plane when you first started. Yeah. Right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, like, like, I can remember being on a net plane and Daryl Dawkins, whatever he did that night before that, like, six o'clock in the morning he's sound asleep in first class and michael ray is running around saying daryl daryl what 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 you have change of a quarter you know and then then scream holler one another and uh i mean those those times were different i mean you don't touch a bag you know what it's like now tim i mean they you know they get on they get to the airport 
They wait till their bags are delivered and put on. They get to the hotel. The bags are delivered. The keys to the room are delivered. I mean, this is more hands-on. The diet is so much better. Uh, you know, the personal trainer besides the team trainer. I mean, those things are, you know, just something unique to this era. Yeah. So, you know, just like you have conversations with, with Tim, I know you talk to coaches to people in the game around the around the country and i'm just curious as you talk to people what are they saying about michigan and i'm most interested in what are they saying about what they think could trip michigan up i mean it's a, a little bit of a tough question because they've only lost one game but have you heard anything or have you seen anything yourself yourself that makes you say really that hey you know this might give michigan some issues yeah the the, the, the biggest thing that people were saying uh how impressed they were with them more than saying you got to do this against them, got to do that against them. Uh, you know, uh, I think people, you know, seeing this team grow like they have, you know, they had the misstep at Minnesota, but listen, uh, that's going to happen in that conference. Uh, you know, uh, and uh, this is not meant as an excuse. It's very hard to be ready every game. You know, by that, you just hope when your better players aren't ready that those, the support group are ready to perform. But, I, you know, again, you've got to have talent to play against them. you got to be able to guard. Uh, you can't make mistakes. Uh, they take advantage of it. Uh, they're a very intelligent team, uh, which they, they understand the game. And, and I think that's something that, you know, holds them in good stead, obviously. But I haven't heard anybody, a coach, you know, the, what we try and do against them, guys have said, but nothing where, hey, just if we just take these two things away, we're going to win the game. Well, you know, those two things may one or two trips you take away, but other people can do the damage. You know, it's like Eli Brooks. I mean, the kid cuts as well as anybody doesn't need a lot of shots, but he knows when to stick it, you know, it mm -hmm. really hurts you. Uh, I thought Wagner the other day was a good example, not a great offensive game, but made some great plays, did some things on the defensive end and was very supportive too. Uh, you know, a lot of guys, you know, go into a shelter uh, when their game is taken away or they don't have their point total. And I, I don't see that with this team. Hey, and remember this, Michigan is undefeated this year when Eli Brooks is Plays. in the lineup. <laughs> that's, that's right. If it wasn't for that boot at Minnesota, right? Yeah. That's the one game he missed. Yeah. Sam, you, have, you had another Yeah, yeah. My, this, is, this is my last one for you. Bill, so National Coach of the Year, that conversation is is ongoing. A lot of people now on board with that being Jawan Howard. Are you you sold on Jawan Howard as being the National Coach of the Year? Or is that still up for debate? Absolutely. You know, it's uh, you know probably more so than some because maybe it's a little bit of a surprise knowing that they didn't know Mike Smith coming in, they didn't know Shoney Brown coming in. Uh, so I, I I think he has snuck up on people. Uh, you know, he's he, he's certainly uh, announced his candidacy with what he's had this team to do. But, you know, I don't know whether I think they decide before the tournament, basically, don't they, if I'm not mistaken. So so he certainly will be one of those guys that, uh, you know, will be in the picture for coach of the year. And, and you know what, between the three or amongst the three of us, I don't think he gives a darn. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think he just likes what he's doing. If accolades come wonderful, you know what I mean? It's uh, it's just one of those deals that, you know, part of success is getting some uh, recognition. And with it, you know, it, uh, he would share that as he does humbly with his team. 
Raph, my final question, um, and they get tougher as we go on. So from a historical perspective, I want your three best Michigan players that you've broadcast. And then after that, I want the three best college basketball players that you've oh, ever boy. broadcast. Tim McCormick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Conlon. You're a funny guy, Raph. <laughs> no, I can't be Russell. Well, I, I put a couple of my favorite people in there. And of course, as he was one of the great ones. Uh, I would say Oscar. Uh, I didn't announce him, but you're, you're, you're saying who I announced. Look, uh, you're our guest. You can do whatever you want. <laughs> I, I, I loved Oscar. Uh, you know, I just thought he was the perfect basketball player. Uh, Michael, no question about it. I didn't cover Bird, but I was there for that game uh, out in Utah uh, and enjoyed him those you know the two the, the two games out there, but this you know every year it's somebody you know it's like uh, different guys like Garz is getting a lot of attention and rightfully so. I think that's what makes the college basketball uh, as big as it is. The atmosphere that people can relate to because there's new stories of kids who are they good enough to be in the league or are they just wonderful college players and. Uh, you know, that's that's pretty much the, uh, you know, the, the, the feeling I have. I, I think there's there's guys who are great. Stevie Thompson, for example, remember that name? From yes, Earth? Syracuse. I used to say I'd be the worst GM in basketball because I love so many guys that would never make it in the NBA. And it was just the way they played during their college days. And, uh, you know, the, the, they, they left it all there and maybe weren't just good enough to make that next step. But... Uh, those are some of the guys, you know, Lajuan was, be, no, Kareem now, you know, I was coaching when Kareem and Walton, I mean, you're talking about some giants in this game that uh, we were, you know, fortunate enough to watch, watch perform and lead their teams. Yeah. And what about Michigan? Your three favorite Michigan? I gave you them. No, you, I want your serious one. I want, uh, I want your legitimate three best Michigan guys that you broadcast. You're killing me. Uh <laughs> Oh, is this a dinner for two after this? Or? <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll end up offending somebody, so I'll leave it at that. Okay, all right, all right. So, and and as we close, wrap. One thing I didn't realize about you is when you left high school, you were a parade all American, and you left the state of New Jersey as the all-time high scorer in the state, over two thousand points. And I didn't realize you were quite a ball player. Well, listen to me. The only high score I have anymore is on the golf course, unfortunately. <laughs> but uh, uh, every, everybody played. No, I, I enjoyed it. It was fun for me. A uh, great high school coach who's still alive that I talked to. And uh, went to LaSalle and uh, had a great coach there, Duty Moore. But uh, unfortunately, it was not good enough. When I, when I, I, I used to tell people I was the 700th draft pick of the Knicks. <laughs> and eight teams. And it was a thrill uh, to go to the camp, you know, they had a summer camp then. Then I came back in the fall and I got cut at lunch. Eddie Donovan, the, the coach, you know, you, you finished the morning workout. I guess the management got together. We got a pair down here kind of a deal. And Red Holzman was then the scout, not the, not a coach, but he was on the floor. And, and he and our family were great friends, you know. But anyhow, I went back after lunch to get my gear. You know, the, you know, whatever, the Knickerbocker logos and all that stuff. And I'm leaving as Tom Gola, who was all league, and Richie Guerin, who was all league, both in the Hall of Fame now, 
and friends, God bless Tommy who passed away, but they're walking in for the afternoon session. Now I've known them and like, I'm sort of broken hearted and uh, Varen denies this, but uh, they said, where are you going? I said, well, I got cut. You know how you muster up that strength and all. Uh, you feel like balling is sort of a, my life is over kind of a deal. Mm-hmm. And uh, Richie, Richie said, geez, Billy, I'm sorry to hear that. If you need tickets this year, call Tommy. And I, thought, <laughs> I said, you know what? It was like a great, great, you know what? He's right. It's over. Uh, you know, don't hang your head. And we didn't have an ABA then. Uh, so anyhow, I was just ended up coaching right away, uh, thinking that down the road I'd like to play again, but I ended up falling in love with the coaching. So, uh, but it was, I had a great youth. I have no regrets whatsoever. All right, Bill Rafter, you're, you're, you're a dear friend of mine. You're a legend, and we're just so happy that you spent some time with us. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Hope to run into you, too, as well along the way. you got a great guy you're working with there in Timmy. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, a lot. Thanks a lot, Bill. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Raf. Talk soon. What a treat. What a treat it was to, man, hear from that boy. I admit, uh, being a little awestruck, being, smiling a little bit. I know we have a job to do, but I'm I'm a fan when we talk to guys like like Bill Raftery. I got to ask you, Tim, is there a favorite Bill Raftery memory that you have? <laughs> uh, so many. He's such a good guy. And, and it just, you know, it oozes out of every pore in his body that he's a great person. And and I, I, um, I like to golf. And maybe my favorite round of golf ever was with Bill Raftery and, and a really good friend of his named Evan Big Cat Williams. He was a national long drive champion. Um, during the round, he actually hit a golf ball through a New York City phone book. Like he just did trick shots the whole time. But Raft talked nonstop, commenting on everything. And it was just a wonderful memory. Truly one of my favorite people anywhere. Yeah, man. Uh, just great, great, terrific, terrific insight. Uh, not only on the craft, but on the game. I uh, love what he had to say about Michigan being comparable, being on par uh, with Baylor, with Gonzaga. Uh, you know, hopefully there's an opportunity for that to, to to manifest on the court, for that to be shown on the court. But let's get back to something you said earlier, Tim, because I need you, my man, make the case to me that the referees, you, you said they were outstanding. That's a really high bar uh, in that game because I thought they fell far short of outstanding. But tell me why you think they were outstanding. I'll tell you why I think they weren't. Uh, so, Sam, on Monday morning, I was driving home from the airport. I had A-10 games this weekend, and I was listening to your show, and I was laughing so hard. I wanted to call in, <laughs> but I, I couldn't stop laughing. And I couldn't disagree more about the referees. I thought they were as good as you're going to find. I give them an A for their effort. It was an excellent job. So here's my argument. The Big Ten is so physical. It's the most physical conference in all of basketball. It's twice as punishing as the NBA. The NBA is wide open. You can't touch anybody. I thought the, the Hunter Dickinson play was a foul. Okay. And you talked a little bit about that. The first two angles, I thought, okay, that that looks like Hunter is being penalized because he's so big and strong. Mm -hmm. The third angle from the baseline where the referee was standing was absolutely obvious that Hunter Dickinson displaced Young. It was a foul. No question about it. You can't just, you can't take your shoulder and hit a guy that hard right in the chest, right in front of the referee. The referee was three feet away. 
So I thought that was a great call. Um, you know, the Washington push-off um, on Brooks was like Michael Jordan discarding Byron Russell. That, by the way, that was a foul, too, that was not called. Um, I thought that was a miss. But you're going to have calls like that throughout the game. You can't get every single one of them right in real time. Like when we watch a play in slow-mo on your 70-inch HD TV, you know, you, you can see it for sure. But in real time, I don't think that the referee could see that Washington's hand was there and pushed him off. Um, I get more upset. I get more upset, Sam. When referees call too many fouls and the best players have to sit, Michigan only had 13 fouls as a team. No Michigan starter had over two fouls. Okay, so Michigan had a very favorable whistle. And and Ohio State probably had more reason to complain. Young and Walker both had four fouls. Liddell and Suing had three. The, the referees had very much control of a very physical game. It was physical from start to finish. And and so anybody that complained about the referees, I didn't see it. Okay. I thought they were completely in control. Okay. So, now, let me stick up for Hunter a little bit. He you said his shoulder went into the chest. Hunter 7-1. Young is what? 6-7. I mean, that's that's where his shoulder is. It's going to it's going to be there. But I will even I will concede for you or concede to you the argument that, okay, maybe he displaced him some. I, I disagree. I think he got that foul because he was bigger and stronger. But if you're going to call that as the ref, if you're going to see that and you're going to look at the angle that he had on that call, at a more crucial point in the game with a an extended arm, how could he not? The referee, you look at the angle that the referee was at to see the extended arm, to see Eli Brooks not just hit the ground but slide across the court. You have to have some momentum for that to happen. To not make that call is, to me, the height of inconsistency. And it's the timing of that inconsistency that really jumps out. But then it gets better because the ball out off of EJ Liddell, they go to the monitor. They look at it. Even the commentators say, okay, we've we've looked at this from multiple angles. That ball is off EJ Liddell. The ball was off EJ Liddell. They went and reviewed it and left it with Ohio State at a crucial point in the game. Now, to Michigan's credit, they played over it. You know, Hunter gets a block. They score on the other end. You know, ball don't lie scenario. But these were crucial calls in the home stretch. And you look at the foul disparity, and Ohio State got called more fouls. Remember, they were fouling late. You know, that sort of padded some of those foul stats. They There were some intentional fouls in there to extend the game. But, I, you know, the timing of some of those calls, maybe not the volume, but the timing of some of those calls made me think they fell far, far short of outstanding in that game. So a couple of things. I always wonder, as we're looking at an HDTV, the, the referees are looking at like a 12-inch screen. And so sometimes I think that they don't get as clear a picture as we do at home. Um, also, on the Liddell file, the one word that the referees are saying is definitive. It has to be a hundred percent. And there, there was an angle that I was looking at. I, I thought that it should have been Michigan's ball, but there was one angle. And, and when it was, when it was looking at the first couple of replays, I thought Michigan's not going to get this because it's not 100% clear. It's got to be so obvious for them to overturn it. They can't say, yeah, it looks like it. I think it is, 
But if it's not definitive, they can't overturn it. I think that 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 should have been Michigan's ball. But I could also I could also look at it and say, you know, it, it wasn't 100 percent. And Sam, there are probably 30 calls that are questionable per half. And the referees in that game got the vast majority of them correct. All right, Tim. All right, you must have a cousin that's like a ref. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Tim. All right, Timmy back. I hear you. I hear you. All right, so let's let's switch gears though uh, and look ahead. I mean, you know, Michigan has this this matchup with Iowa coming up. Luca Garza versus versus Hunter Dickinson, a a high octane, you know, big time scoring offense that they're going to see a team that's challenged to mount a you know credible defensive effort, although they did hold Wisconsin to 30% shooting here recently. But that's the anomaly. Break down this matchup for me, Tim. You've been so good at so sort of forecasting games. How do you see Michigan versus Iowa? Uh, immediately after the Michigan-Ohio State game, Sam, I grabbed the schedule, and I was worried about a big game hangover. I was, I was worried that they were going to play Penn State or Northwestern or Indiana. I was so happy to see Iowa a top 10 team. Michigan respects them. Um, it's another huge game. You can't have a letdown. There, there's no way you're you're going to relax at all with Iowa coming into your building. And then who can forget last year? It was December 6th at Chrysler, Juwan's first ever Big Ten game as a coach. Single coverage, Teske versus Garza. I thought that was the biggest mistake of Juwan's first year. Luca went one-on-one for 40 minutes. He had 44 points. Guess what? He had zero assists in that game. He just went head-to-head with Teske, and the rest of the Hawkeyes stood around. They only made three threes in that game, which is incredible. And Michigan scored over 100 points. And 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 I, I do think that, that John Teske never really recovered from that game. I think he was so beat up. And, and, and it was just a, a great matchup overall. Storylines galore. And so this team, I think that that the Hawkeyes are are really good on offense. I don't think they're quite as bad as as a lot of people say on defense. I think I've I've seen some games in which there are signs of growth, um, but there's there's no doubt that Garz is one of the best players in Big Ten history. But the truth is, he, he's so reliable. The Hawkeyes are best when Wieskamp and C.J. Frederick are on. And and right now, Wieskamp is on fire. He's shooting so well his last five games. Um, Frederick is starting to get healthy. You can't let him get going. They they can play at multiple speeds. They can score 100 points. But the advantage for Michigan is I think that that they can grind it out and win a game in the 60s, too. So I'm really thinking this is going to be a battle of tempo. And I'm I'm not sure Michigan wants a hundred hundred point game against them. See, I, I guess for for me, the thing that I think is is interesting about this game, if Michigan's defense isn't successful at slowing Iowa down, and I you know I, I just I'm, I'm banking on them keeping Iowa below uh, their normal octane, uh, and they could Iowa could still be effective, but below their normal octane, I think Michigan can play any style. I mm-hmm. think if it, if it's a running game, Michigan can do that. If it's a game in the hundreds, I think Michigan can score with them. I just think Iowa cannot get stops. 
consistently. And I think that's going to be a, a, a real big key in this game. Not caught up. I, I saw some commentary about what a great job they did against Wisconsin. I think that said more about Wisconsin than it did Iowa. You know, it was Wisconsin's issues, the reason why they shot 30%. Not anything that Iowa did that was special. Uh, but I, I, I want you to take me inside. Take me inside the Hunter Luca matchup from the perspective of a guy uh, who was a big yourself and maybe your your first time matching up with, with a guy you knew or a guy you had seen after you had some experience because these two guys and I think we were the first to report on this Tim and we're going to hear it a ton during the game but these two guys worked out with one another in the summer they went head to head and that right. was part of Hunter's preparation for the season but it's different for Hunter now because not only does Hunter have the benefit of yeah, I worked out against this guy. He's great, but I, I kind of know what his moves are. It doesn't mean I can stop him, but I know. But now I've had some success. I balled out, you know, at the college basketball level. I'm one of the top big men in the country. You know, physically he's the same, but mentally, Tim, I got to think he's a lot different, and I wonder how you think that will play into this matchup. It's something to get excited about for sure. And and I, I think that – that Dickinson matches up really well with Garza. Um, I think you're going to see Luca taking a lot of perimeter shots. And, and I also think that if I was Michigan, I would double team him. I would double team Garza um, with Mike Smith. I'd leave McCaffrey. I don't, I don't worry about his shooting and, and I would mix it up. I would, I would wait until Luca starts to dribble, you know, on the, on the second dribble, send a hard double and make him pass. And if McCaffrey is going to, you know, knock down a bunch of jumpers and beat you, then you might have to live with that one. Um, I think that chest to chest, it's going to be really interesting because Garza just pounds people. He's a human jackhammer, but he can't do that against Dickinson because Dickinson is as strong, maybe even stronger. And I think that, He's going to be able to to contest shots. Luke is great, but but I I think he bullies people, and he's very good at using angles. And with the size of Dickinson, he knows these moves because he spent the summer with him. And and if if you can make Garza a passer, then your job is is really really effective. I think that Austin Davis could play a key role in this because it wouldn't surprise me if Dickinson gets a couple fouls at some point. Also, remember, Brandon Johns had 12 against Iowa in that game last year. He could be significant. But let's go back to that foul that we talked about against Young. Um, the, the, the biggest mistake that Hunter made on that play is that if you take your shoulder and put it right in the middle of someone's chest, the referees all of a sudden get sensitive to that and they watch a little bit closer. I think that the most effective big men, and that might be the next step for Hunter Dickinson, is he needs to attack shoulders like Luca Garza does. If you go into somebody's chest, you're asking for trouble and you're really not going to move anyone. But if you can hit those outside shoulders and start attacking angles, then all of a sudden you can make progress. You can advance towards the basket and that sets up that little jump hook coming back the other way. So I think it's going to be a huge game key. The center position, I can't wait. All right, so I I think I like Michigan in this game. I don't think there's any secret. I just think Michigan is a more complete team, a more balanced team. Uh, they play both ends of the floor, and Iowa just doesn't. They just don't. <laughs> so right, if, a, right, if a team right. if a team uh, shoots a poor percentage against Iowa, it's them, not Iowa, in my opinion. Now, yeah, go ahead. Tim. Well, real quick, real quick, and I and I do think that that the, the second matchup 
Brown and Brooks have to hold Wieskamp down. Garza can get his 25, but you can't allow Wieskamp to get 20. That's a big problem. And earlier when I said pace of play is going to be a little bit slower, I still think that when I say a slow pace in this one, I still think the first team to score 80 wins. Mm -hmm. So it's not going to be a grinded out in the 40s. That's just not, I, I think these teams will score 40 in the first half. But I just I don't I don't like this game if it gets up into the 90s. So so here's the thing to close with, Tim. I like Michigan in this Iowa game, but that is the start of a stretch that is a gauntlet, not necessarily because of the opponents, but because of the spacing of games. So Thursday they play Iowa seven o'clock, right? Friday is a travel day. Tra- uh, travel day. You go and you play at Indiana Saturday. You come home. You you host Illinois Tuesday. Uh, and then, you know, there's a day between games before you play Michigan State Thursday and then again on Sunday at their place. So that run of games that they're going to play, the spacing of them, it, it sort of makes me look at it and say, well, I like them against Iowa. I like them at Indiana even on, on, on a quick turnaround. The game that I circle, uh, and I, you probably circle it anyway, but more so because of the spacing of games, is when they host Illinois. I think mm-hmm. if you're Illinois and you gotta if you gotta travel to play Michigan, this is the ideal scenario sandwiched in a uh, in a slate of quick turnaround games. The way that one is going to be for Michigan. Yeah, I've been pondering the schedule a lot, and and first off, it, it's it's a really big advantage the way the schedule is set up. Getting Iowa and Illinois at home that's huge. Um, I do think Michigan will be a Big Ten champ. It would not surprise me of those last five games if Michigan lost twice. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I say that because of this. I don't, I don't see them winning at Indiana. And I know that the Hoosiers just lost at home to Michigan State. But that's going to be the biggest trap game that you're ever going to see. With Iowa after Ohio State, and then your, your game after Indiana is Illinois, and then you've got your biggest rival for two straight. Indiana is the one that they're not going to get up for. And, and so I really worry about that game. And then if you lose to Illinois because they're just a better team than you are, then, then you can live with that. Um, but I also think that they're going to be Big Ten champs because think about Illinois finishing the season at Wisconsin, at Michigan, at Ohio State. If they win out, they deserve to be champs. But I don't see that happening. So, so it's, it's going to be a, a really fun finish. And that Michigan... Illinois game is going to be off the chart and Dickinson versus Coburn. I mean, how good will that be? It'll be outstanding. Can't wait. It's just a a great slate of basketball. I I know I said we were closing, but I I do wonder as you talk to your scout friends and, you know, I I would assume who, if not for Luca Garza would be, uh, you know, he would be unquestionably, I think the big 10 player of the year. Uh, But man, Tim, as much as we've seen him improve as a shooter, where is his left hand? And and against most teams, it does not matter. He can still get right. He can still get right when teams are overplaying him, uh, you know, to his dominant hand. But against a t- an elite defensive team like Michigan, I-, I think that that could be one of the keys to the game. And I, I wonder what scouts you talk to say or what, what you see about that aspect of his game. Not really, in my opinion, show, showing a whole lot of improvement. Uh, it's certainly not in the way his jump shot is, is shown. Well, I, I, um, I actually miss talking to NBA scouts at the Pistons games, but um, I'll give you my own observation. 
if I'm looking for a comparison, Io DeSumnu reminds me a lot of Anthony Edwards from Georgia, who was on the Minnesota Timberwolves and was the number one pick in the draft. He he is very creative. He gets wherever he wants. He's a, he's a superb athlete. Um, I think that Io's a better shooter, and, and he's a closer. I, I think he is so underrated in terms of being an NBA prospect. I, I, um, I think he's, without question, the best perimeter player in the Big Ten this year. Gotcha. All right, Tim, we shall see how it plays out. Going to be fun to recap some of these games and to preview the stretch run of the season. Folks, if you like this podcast, be sure to rate it and review it. And, of course, as I always say, tell your friends all about it. They can find it wherever they get their podcasts, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, you name it. They can find it. Just search Michigan Insider Podcast and then grab the Michigan Basketball, Basketball Insider. You will not be. Tell them they will not be. Sorry. Thanks for listening to the Michigan Basketball Insider. Hello, everyone. It's Michael Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest is Football. It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean, outrageous. Just search... The rest is football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Meets.